Let me read the passage. This is a different passage tonight, you guys. It's on your hand out there. It is different, but it is God's word, and it's true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. So, perk up your ears. So, two excerpts from this book, The Song of Solomon. This is the woman speaking. She says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. And he says of the woman he loves, Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. The word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word that it surprises us sometimes. Lord, there is so much in your word. And um, for those who, (laughs) if it's their first week at RUF, they're like, what have I walked into? (laughs) Lord, just ask that you you would show them, show all of us something beautiful and good and wholesome and true and hopeful. Um, for our lives from this book that was written thousands of years ago. And we ask that you do that by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so yes, my name is Willis Weatherford. I'm the campus minister here with RUF. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. We're a Christian ministry on campus. Uh, We're here for Christians and non-Christians. I see some new faces today. Glad you guys are all here. If I haven't met you like in person, I'd love to meet you in person. So... Catch me afterward, we can talk. Um, yeah, the one thing I want you to know about myself, though, is I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person. But Jesus loves me. And he loves you. And that changes everything. It changes how we love. We're looking at how the love of Jesus changes how we love our romantic relationships in this series that we're in the middle of. Let me tag this with a story. Um, uh, like right after high school, before college, I went to live in a different country uh, for two years. And um, I, I met two people that I became friends with. Uh, I was like on a team, and two members of that team, two sweet people, became friends with them. And I watched their whole relationship as they kind of like became interested and then started dating and then got engaged. And, uh, and then I left after, after they got engaged and then they got married. I got to watch that like online, right? So they got married. So husband and wife, now it's great. But the interesting thing about this story, cool story, they're not like, they're never gonna hear this sermon uh, because um, they're in a different country. They speak a different language. Um, but the interesting thing, like these are two people, wonderful people, very average in the looks department, right? They're just like nothing remarkable about them, very normal people. Um, as a 19-year-old, my friend told me um, this thing they got after, after they got engaged. He said, he's like, man, the, the weird thing, the funny thing is I never, when I imagined like the woman I would marry, I never imagined a woman who looks like this woman. Like she's not the type that I imagined I would marry, but I'm so excited to marry her. And like as a 19-year-old, I was like, cool, interesting. Uh, it's, it's kind of a beautiful story. Like this guy who's so excited to marry this woman that he never could have predicted or like, 
He wasn't shooting for this, and he's so excited to have been given this by God. Jesus changes how we love. These are two Christian people. They love Jesus. He changes how we love. The series is Eros meets Lagos. Eros, Greek word, meaning romantic love. Lagos, meaning the wisdom of God. Jesus calls himself Lagos, the word of God in his word. The wisdom of God on all of life, including romance, including Eros. So Eros meets Lagos. That's tonight. And in the next two weeks, next two Tuesdays, we're going to be right here in the Song of Songs, this weird book in the Old Testament. It's part of what's called the wisdom literature. It tells the truth in a different way. It kind of shows us what's beautiful. It uses poetry. It uh, tries to win our hearts over even before it wins our minds over. So it's interesting. It might be a different sermon than you've heard from me before or from anyone before. Um, We're going to look at this week and next two weeks how Jesus meets us in our struggle with eros, with romance, with sex, with love, in our hearts, in our behavior, and in our relationships. All right? Hearts, relationships, behavior. Tonight is hearts. How Jesus meets us in our struggle with eros in our hearts, especially in our shame and our pride about our bodies. Shame and pride about our bodies. So we're in Song of Songs. Let me summarize the book for you. We just read this passage at the start. Let me summarize the book. There's a guy and a girl. They're not specific people. It's not like telling us history. They're like characters in a play. So this idealized man and woman, they're not perfect, but they're idealized in the sense that they represent kind of ideals of romantic love. And it tells us this story to tell us something of like God's plan for romance in the midst of a broken world. Because it's not like a pie-in-the-sky world. There's problems, there's issues. They have like weird, trippy nightmares about their love and stuff. And they have struggles. We'll see some of those tonight. But in the books, the the storyline is the two uh, like open the first page and they're just like, my lover is awesome. My lover is awesome. Like they're super in love with one another and it just builds and builds and builds. And it's super like kind of erotic. It's not illustrated, which is probably a good thing. Wouldn't be shown in Sunday school if it was illustrated. Because it would like be pretty, we just read. It's an interesting book. But like, it's affirming to us the goodness of sexuality. The goodness of romance. And they get married in the book. And even then after they get married, they continue on like in love with each other. And then there's like this kind of cool like teaching section at the end of the book where it tells you like, so here's what you should think about love after having read this. That's the whole book. You should read it if you want to. We're not going to go through the whole thing. We're going to kind of take it piecemeal. Um, as we see this book, though, we're meant to long for the same thing they long for. We're meant to long to find the one God has for us and to marry them, right? Or we're meant to encounter the beauty of love. And if God has called us, you, to singleness, which probably you, most of you are like, I really hope that's not me. <laughs> but if that is you... You are called, though you do not know it yet, to uh, source your need for love in Christ himself, in the warmth and friendship of Christian community, in his church, in family, elsewhere. We can talk about that. If you're like, I think I'm who's talking about, let's talk about that. The rest of you are like, please say it's, don't, it's not me, Lord. You know? <laughs> and I get that. <laughs> so anyway, all of it, we're gonna, it's going to speak to all of this. Okay, This is not just for people who are in a romantic relationship right now. Song of Songs is not just pie in the sky. It's realistic about the struggles that we have in the midst of Eros. And we see that starting up with chapter 2, verse 14, says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards 
for our vineyards are in blossom. So this woman is speaking to her man. She's like, hey, honey, who I love. I'm not yet married to, but I'm super into you. You're super into me. So why don't you catch the foxes that spoil the vineyards? What's going on there? So vineyards, it's poetry in Song of Songs. Stuff represents stuff. Vineyards represents bodies. So when she says our vineyards are in blossom, she's saying we look good. <laughs> we are in our prime right now, and uh, things are great. Never look better, but there's foxes that are spoiling stuff. Foxes in ancient Israel were like the, we called them varmints in Kentucky growing up. Like all the animals that are just no good for anything. Raccoons, coyotes, they just spoil stuff. That's what they thought about foxes. So when they say, catch these foxes, she's saying like, there's stuff attacking, ruining our vineyards, our bodies. So what would that be? I mean, lots of things, right? But specifically, we find two of them in Song of Songs that I want to talk about. Uh, first one that pops up, this, this woman in this book, this idealized woman, she's not free from shame. She's not free from insecurity. Chapter 1, 5 through 6, she says, Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. She's talking to the daughters of Jerusalem. She says, Dark am I, yet lovely, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon, so dark like this cloth that was dark. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, and my own vineyard I had to neglect. So again, vineyard representing body. She's saying, I am from a fairly poor family. We didn't have servants to go and take care of the agricultural fields, the vineyards. So I had to work out in the fields. And this uh, young woman became dark, tan, skin, right? And in those days, now that's kind of like a good thing, at least in our culture, those days, not a good thing. They meant you were poor, not desirable. They're really like hot chicas had very fair skin they were wealthy, got to stay inside. That was the standard of beauty of their day. It always changes, right? But um, So she's saying, like, I have this insecurity. I'm too dark, and I don't like it. So don't stare at me. Don't make fun of me. All right. Song of Song also raises um, the whole body types conversation, which is always interesting to, like, think about how it changes throughout the years, whether you're talking about, who's, was it Raphael, the painter who painted like paint, tons of paintings of naked women, and that was like a different beauty standard than we have today. Um, but you see the same thing similarly. The, the passage read at the very start, you know, it talks about the guy, and that's fairly standard, I guess. He's got black hair, so I guess that's more desirable back then. And then when he, he talks about the woman he loves. He says, Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. I think that's funny. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your statue is like a palm tree and your breasts are its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay a hold of its fruit. So like, <laughs> in case you missed it, what he's saying is, I want to grab onto you, woman, every part of you, and claim you as my own, right? Like this is erotic intent communicated in the Bible. They want each other. And, and so... As we keep on moving, what I don't want you to miss is that Song of Songs shows us like this greenhouse of love where it can just flourish and come alive and awaken and be enjoyed. And the greenhouse is marriage because the guy and the girl in the Song of Songs, they're longing for their wedding day. They're longing for their marriage and they get married and they have sex and they enjoy it and then they continue in marriage and they're like all about it. Okay, so... Song of Songs shows us that, is telling you, trying to convince you that the, uh, the biblical sexual ethic 
where uh, sex is for only the context of marriage between a man and a woman, this is telling you, this is like the greenhouse of love, of sex, of eros. It's not like a uh, constraint of like, well, I guess I just got to like push aside all the stuff I really want so that I have, can try to be satisfied with this. So, yeah, in marriage, we always do have to say no to other things, but that's actually like a good thing. <laughs> that's the greenhouse in which the love that we were made for can flourish and be enjoyed. So all that said, to go back to that shame and the pride piece, the, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard of our, our, our bodily experience of love, we feel shame and we feel pride about our bodies. Neither one of those are good. Uh, things we feel is about how athletic we are or aren't, right? Our overall health, but especially how we look. Size, some of us want to be bigger or taller. Some of us want to be shorter or smaller. Uh, our proportion, shape, silhouette, your complexion, skin tone, blemishes, how your hair is, straight or curly, facial hair or not. Sam Boyd with the mustache today. Where you at, Sam? I saw you, man. I love it. Yes. Hey, more facial hair, guys. Come on, let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sam, if that was embarrassing. I just, I, I, I see it and I respect it. Um, musculature somewhat more somewhat less somewhat more or less in different places and this isn't just the thing about this is our appearance i mean you know this it's not that we're just like looking at ourselves in the mirror it's within the context of every other relationship right it's you and yourself but it's also you and your friends it's also you and the rest of campus it's you and your greek organization your sports team it's you and the media <laughs> Every body that you see in any way in the media, it's all with reference to so many people. Uh, the Greeks sculpted these perfect bodies. You see, some of you have been to Greece. I haven't. I want to go. They, the Greeks, they sculpted these perfect bodies and set them up uh, and worshipped them as gods, right? Um, they named them Athena, Apollo, Artemis, Zeus, Eros, one of them. Um, we exchanged marble for high-res photo formats. Hammer and chisel for filters and Photoshop. Temples for social media platforms. And we make gods of human bodies by worshiping them on our screens, putting them on our billboards. We don't just worship them, we want to be them, right? We want to be that body. Or we're crushed by the knowledge that we never will be that body. We cherish the thought that our bodies might be surrounded by many of our own personal admirers in person, online, or if not many, at least one, right? Like if we could just have one person, one romantic partner who would look at us that way, maybe it'd be enough. So we try to change how our bodies look, the gym, the food we eat or not, the spa visits, the tanning, the clothes we wear, who we hang out with for the whole comparison piece, how much skin we show or hide or wear. This is all driven by both pride and shame. And what I want you to hear guys, that pride and shame, they feel like opposites, but they're actually two sides of the same coin. They both hurt us in parallel ways. They're fundamentally the same thing, okay? Because in pride and in shame, we notice our secondary characteristics that like lie on top of the core of who we actually are, and we judge ourselves by the secondary characteristics. And either those secondary characteristics, how we look, what we do, etc., they make us enough or not. Pride, shame, right? Um, worthy based on these things of a person of a relationship of even a job or a friendship or a Greek affiliation based on how you look 
My father-in-law um, is pretty cool <laughs> in a lot of ways. I hope you're listening, Mark. <laughs> um, he, ha <laughs> he has, but really, <laughs> he has a crosscut saw, like a six-foot crosscut saw in his garage, and we cut a big tree down recently. I had made chainsaw, that was fun, but then we broke out the crosscut saw, which is like, cuts both ways. You know, you get like the big handles, you gotta like pull, you don't push. Key to the trick of the trade, don't push, just pull. Other person on the other side, he pulls back and forth, cuts both ways, shame and pride. Right? Pushing or pulling both ways. It's both shredding our actual identity, our sense of self, because you're not defined by how you look. You're not defined by how you feel about how you look. That one feels more, we, like, we know we're not defined by how we look, really, but we do feel defined by how we feel about how we look. Right? You're not even defined by who loves you. That one feels closer to the truth, but it's also not true. You're not defined by who loves you or who might love you one day. The claim of the Bible is that no mere mortal, no matter how beautiful or worthy or wonderful, is glorious enough to speak to your shame or your pride and convince you of who you really are beneath that. You could marry the girl of your dreams, the guy of your dreams, and their love would not speak louder than their own shame or your own shame or pride. Why? Because, number one, they have their own shame and pride to deal with. I hope you all get married to wonderful people and they're incredible and they do help you in your struggle with shame or pride and that by God's grace will happen. But they'll never be enough to really peel back the layers and show you who you are beneath all of that because they can't even define themselves. None of us can define ourselves and know who we truly are and escape the shame and the pride that tells us lies about ourselves. We can't do that. It's like... They're all in the same virtual reality wearing these goggles where they're judging themselves based on other people and how they look. It's like um, this one time, last job that I had, I was in Houston, and with uh, my coworkers, we went to a uh, virtual reality combat location. And this was like, not just the goggles, but like you're in a giant warehouse and everybody's wearing goggles and has the guns. And you don't see anything that's actually around you. You just see the, and you're like actually walking around and running. And like, it gets dangerous because like you try to run into. So at one point, I was, um, <laughs> you get still in the zone. You look like an idiot. And at one point, I'm like, think, I'm in the zone. Like, things are not really working. I'm like, I'm kind of confused. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I can't hear anything. And then like, the, the worker of the place graciously comes over and like, without me even knowing, he like takes off my head things, takes off my ears. And then I realized that I'm like standing in a wall, like trying to walk into the wall. And, like, and, I, and then you can kind of look around and you see everybody else is like in random corners doing random stuff too. And this is actually like a picture of, we don't see reality clearly. Like just this with sh just shame and pride, not to mention everything else. We don't see ourselves clearly. We don't see others clearly. We're constantly judging ourselves and others based on the wrong criteria, especially around our bodies. But Jesus, he's the guy not wearing goggles. Like he's God. <laughs> no goggles needed. He truly sees reality. He sees you truly, and he loves you, not based on your body. And he calls you to love him, not based on his body. He actually gave up his body to be beaten, spit on, wounded, humiliated, dismembered in public. He willingly gave up his body to be stripped almost naked on his worst day and hung on a cross for everybody to see and make fun of. Because he knew who he was. And he knows who you are. 
and he can tell you who you are. Listen to this prophecy, Isaiah 53, of Jesus. Jesus grew up before God like a young plant, unimpressive young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He knows what it's like to be rejected because of the way you look. He knows what that's like. He wasn't impressive. He didn't look like Brad Pitt. <laughs> he didn't look as good as all the actors that portray him on like TV shows or movies. Probably. They're all a little above average. Jesus was very average or below average. What this Bible verse is telling us. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So the most precious, wonderful, honorable human being to ever live wasn't good looking. And he wasn't ashamed of how he looked. And he wasn't proud of how he looked. He just didn't evaluate himself based on his looks. It wasn't part of his decision-making paradigm. And he doesn't evaluate you based on how you look. Okay? So you may be in here feeling great about how you look. Jesus doesn't care. He sees you for you. You may be in here feeling terrible about how you look. Jesus doesn't care. He sees you for you. So I'm not saying that you just need to like try really hard to stop caring about your looks. I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm not saying that you need to stop caring about how other people, you know, judge your appearance, how you measure up. If I was to say that, it'd just be like behavior modification, you know, which that's not what this is about. Jesus is not about you modifying your behavior to live like a better life. <clears throat> what this is actually about is that you need, you desperately need to see and hear and experience how Jesus sees you. You just need that. How he treats you. How do we do that? Okay, if you're in here and you're the one you're like, you probably are more on the prideful side. We all go back and forth, shame, pride. We've got all of it mixed up together. But if you're more on the prideful side, like, I look pretty good. I, I, I look around, I'm looking better than most of the people in here. If that's you. Um, so you like the way you look. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not saying you have to pretend you're not gorgeous. You know, God's gift to the world. That's okay. It's great to be gorgeous. What's tragic is that you think your exterior defines you. So you are called gently, graciously, by the God who loves you, to crucify your pride by revealing your interior to others. Especially the unattractive parts. Not to be loved, but to be vulnerable. Not to be ashamed, right? I'm not trying to be like, oh, here's my worst dirty laundry. Oh, now I'm the worst. It's not about that. It's about being honest with your real struggles and shortcomings so that you can watch people love you in the midst of them and believe yourself loved by God beyond your best and worst moments. One way to do this is to join a small group. I'm not saying you have to like stand up here in, in large group and do that. That'd be crazy. <laughs> Go join a small group like the one Anne is leading or the one I'm leading. Like that'd be a great move. In that place, you can become more known for the person on the inside of you rather than your exterior. All right. Another way is in the midst of your romantic relationship, your friendship, um, you got to be real with those people, like wisely. You don't tell them everything all at once. And I would love to talk to you about like, who do you tell what, when? Like there's a wisdom kind of in every step of that. But like being real with them, not just the polished veneer, cool version of you that you really want them to like you for, but like the, the real you. 
to make steps. Jesus calls you to like, be vulnerable in the midst of that. And he's there for you if they reject you. Right? He doesn't reject you. Okay, if you're here and you're more on the, ashamed, more the shame side of the spectrum, you don't like the way you look, uh, at least not, not a lot of the time, um, that's okay. It is okay for you to not like the way you look. I'm not saying that you have to find some kind of way to like, just love the way you look, to not notice your flaws. Uh, obviously, some of your perceived flaws are not actually flaws, right? Some of them are, you know. Um, but freedom isn't found in being flawless. It isn't found in looking better. It's found in looking at Jesus. That's where freedom is found. Freedom is found in seeing Jesus. Not being seen as you want to be seen, but you seeing Jesus as he is. So crucify your shame by reminding yourself of Jesus' love for your body in the scriptures. What he did for you in history in the scriptures. How he cares for you right now by providing for your body. I guess he wants you alive. I guess he wants you here because here you are. You still have breath that he gave you. He loves your body. Uh, what he promises in his word to do for your body in the future. To raise it from the dead. He loves your body. One way to remind yourself of this is as you pray before meals. So like, this doesn't just have to be like, all right, so like, uh, you know, love to the big guy and uh, I'd like this to happen and thanks for the food. All right, let's do this. But more of like a blessing to your body with the food that you're about to eat. Um, a way to present your body to the God who loves you, right? So um, a simple blessing. Father God, thank you for sustaining and protecting my body today. Uh, thank you for loving me, flaws and all. Please give me everything I need to be strong and healthy and joyful in you, Jesus. A blessing for your body before you eat. I heard of this guy who would wash his face and he'd be like, <laughs> this is kind of weird and trippy, but I kind of love it. He'd just go to, every morning and wash his face. He's like, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And not, not like he's baptizing himself every morning, right? But just like blessing himself as he cares for his body. I kind of love that, guys. Like, he loves your body. Find ways to build that into your ritual. For the unconvinced, if you're here and you're like, what is this dude talking about? <laughs> like, this is so weird. Um, first of all, I, I'd love to talk to you. I get it. This is a weird... We're, we're reading an old, old book and trying to... Um, claiming that Jesus is speaking to us now in it. There's some weirdness there. But what I want you to do... Okay, if that's you and you're like, what's going on here? <clears throat> if you hear what I'm saying, you don't buy it. What do you do with the massive problem that our culture has with how we treat bodies and how we view bodies? What do you do with that? Because there's a massive problem. Human trafficking, advertising, dieting, eating disorders, steroid use, pornography, not to mention just the shame and pride that we feel, you feel about your own body. What do you do with that? What's your solution? I'm not saying this to like make you guilty. I'd honestly love to hear like how you deal with that. And I would like to invite you to just consider like what Jesus says about dealing with this very specific problem that we have. You need to wrestle with the claim that Jesus gave up his body to save all of ours. Okay, I want to end on two hopeful notes, okay? Two hopeful notes to like, close us out here. First one, uh, in the Song of Songs, this big story we have, these two lovers who are madly in love with each other and their story together, what we don't hear is all of their previous relationships. We have no idea who else they dated or were into or whatever. And that's actually kind of awesome because some of you, uh, you look in your past or your present, you're like, ooh, it's a little dicey. Feel guilty, feel ashamed, or feel proud, right? These people in this story are showing us that Jesus has a story for you that is better than the story that you came from. 
It's a, I mean, you would go read the book. It's a good story. It's beautiful. I'm not saying that you're going to have like some sort of, I don't know, like rom-com type scenario playing out in your life. Jesus doesn't promise you that, but it's good. It's beautiful. That's the first hopeful thing. Second thing, what I really want you to hear in this is that your hope, your best hope, your only hope for the romantic relationship that you long for is Jesus. So Jesus is not just like a thing that you tack on to the side of your life in the sidecar. He's not just like what you do when you go to church. I'm saying all of life can only be lived in freedom and in joy with Jesus and according to Jesus' wisdom, including your romantic life. So if, whether you're in a romantic relationship or not, um, turn to Jesus. If you're serious about finding the person that you're made to marry, finding a, a kind of love that is more beautiful than anything you've experienced or see around you, go hard at Jesus. Pursue Jesus now that he might craft you into the person who could find that. So, Jesus loves you. He loves you. In the midst of whatever you're going through. And he changes the way we love. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this, your word, which encounters us in strange ways. And, um, man, sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, Jesus. You get pretty personal. And so we ask that um, you would help us. Um, if we are offended by you, to take you seriously enough to give you a second look and to see what's there. What, what's that real thing there that I encountered that offended me? Uh, and if we're, if we're just bored, apathetic, um, Jesus, wake us up. Wake us up from the slumber, the unreality that we're in. For all of us who are hungering, Jesus, for you and to live our lives more before your face, just help us, Jesus, especially in the midst of our romantic relationships. We ask in your name. Amen.